Hello, investors. Welcome to the Investor Lab. So in today's episode called Property Investing in Economic Downturns, we took a very wide and interesting... It was a windy journey. It was a windy journey. It's a long episode, but it is jam-packed with very interesting perspectives and ideas. And I think it's an episode which has the potential to really give you some paradigm shifts around what is happening right now in this current environment. Some of the stuff we talked about, we talked about how will unemployment affect my property? Are we going to see hyperinflation? What's going on with quantitative easing? We talked about creating a one, one world global digital currency. <laughs> um, we talked about how property the property price is going to crash. Our property price is going to crash. What areas? Are they going uh, yeah, to boom? Are they going to crash? What's going on? What areas are the most affected? What areas are the least affected? You know, the principles with which you can make sure that you have got, a, you know, in inverted commas, recession proof property portfolio. We talked about blue collar versus blue chip in your investing strategy. Um, you know, how this is affecting the average investors. We talked all kinds of stuff. Talked about I, the stimulus packages. Yep, stimulus packages and their impact and effect. Yep. Um, we talked about uh, resources, booms. We took a historical analysis on uh, past recessions and, and global perspectives. And we also talked about some, uh, some required reading or some suggested reading stuff as well. Did I miss anything, Gabby? No. That's a lot. We, we covered a lot. We covered a lot of ground. So you might be wondering before you get stuck into this, however long it is, hour or, hour or so long episode, <laughs> is this going to be worthwhile for me? Well, what I can say is I don't know, but what I can because <laughs> I don't know you. But to follow up on that, I would say that this is a really, really, really great episode for anyone that is trying to make sense of what is going on right now. For mm. anyone that has a property or is thinking about buying a property or has an interest in economics or just wants to gain some better clarity on some of these mechanisms which are seem to be getting pulled all, all around us and, and how they all interlace with each other. I think this episode is going to be extremely instructive, advisive and hopefully transformative. And if you like what you hear, please make sure you subscribe. Um, if you're listening on whatever platform you're listening on, make sure you subscribe. And if you think that this would benefit somebody else, someone you know, love or care about, or even someone you don't, make sure you share that, share it with them so they can benefit from this opportunity as well. And of course, head to www.theinvestorlab.com.au. You can find the podcast episodes there as well as resources. And that's where, we're gonna, where, where you're going to be able to find our online community, The Investor Lab. And inside that community, we are, you know, exposing people to way, way, way deeper insights than this and, and helping people navigate their property journey just like you probably want to as well. So I hope this is helpful. See you on the inside. Hello and welcome. My name's Goose. My name's Gabby. And you are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory and visual epicenter for passionate people seeking to create a life of freedom, choice and abundance. And what a wild, wild world we live in right now, particularly for those freedom seekers, those passionate ones, the change makers, those trying to really make a little bit of something else out of their situation right now. Currently in a bit of an economic downturn. How's things going for you, Gabby? Interesting. It's an interesting time. 
a lot of interesting conversations. I know you speak with a lot of people about this every day. Yeah. Just just a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? Yeah, well, there's a lot going on, you know, and um, I think that to a large degree, there's a lot of new stuff happening and to a large degree, there's a lot of old stuff happening. But what I would see as being the major point of difference in today's environment and how we're reacting and responding and interpreting and also digesting and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, The what's happening in the world is through a vector of social media, which I think is actually probably mm. quite... Um, quite damaging if i'm just if i just oh it definitely is it definitely is i actually had that thought last night before i went to sleep i thought i feel a lot happier because i've been trying to trying to just switch off social media as much as possible because obviously people want to stay in touch with what is going on and want to want to be across all the latest you know hourly changes that are happening to our society but you definitely, there's a lot more calm if you just kind of choose to switch off for a bit. Oh, absolutely, and that's not that's not that's not to imply blissfully blissful ignorance either. I think no. it's super important to stay informed. I mean, I um, I've been practicing a little bit more of a, a social media diet lately. Social media distancing. Social media, <laughs> social media distancing is very very healthy at the moment, and I think that. Um, you know, it, it's natural and normal with a lot of uncertainty in people's lives for them to be seeking out answers and and they're going to the place where they get the most amount of input, right? Mm. And so on with your news feeds and all of that kind of stuff. It's like, bah, 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 all this noise. And so your brain interprets that as getting a lot of information, which when it's uncertain, it's going, oh, give me more information. The reality is there's no uh, quality control on that information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Your body and your mind is a machine and it operates with the fuel that it gets fed. So depending on the fuel that you put into the machine will depend on the outcome that you get from that machine. So when there's no quality control over the fuel source, you're going to get mixed results. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, I would say. But what are we here to talk about today, Gabby? We're going to talk about uh, property investing in economic downturns. Indeed, indeed. This is a huge, 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 huge topic huge. Um, right now. It's very polarizing for a lot of people out there in uh, you know our society and our community. I know on a personal level, um, there are a lot of people I know who have lost their jobs. And so they feel, I'm sure, because they've been plied as such, um, the discussion around property investing in an environment where people are losing their jobs and we're in an economic I mean, downturn is distasteful, I would probably say, is a good word for that. However, my perspective on that is very different and not because I'm bullish about let's all go get rich and screw everyone else. That's absolutely not the case at all. But I have the perspective of property as being, well, it is, it is the single largest driver of our, of our economy, real estate, Um, property and its affiliated industries as well so that extends as far as conveyancing and stuff like that it's the largest single industry in our country when you when you extend it and also it's the largest source of wealth creation for you know most australians and so a lot of people think about property investors as being these kind of big wigs in suits that are out there ripping off the poor guys what i've actually noticed particularly lately is a lot more, how would you say it, average? 
people mm. who maybe have one or two properties, which typifies the, the statistic that uh, 75% of property investors never get past one and 90% never get past two. There's a huge swathe of swath of, <laughs> of people out there who aren't rich big wigs in suits looking to rip people off. They're just like they maybe have one investment property um, and you know it's their way of preparing for their retirement or, or whatever. And they're suddenly freaking out a little bit. There's a lot going on right now. You know, is property market going to crash? There's, there's a lot happening. Particularly when you when you start to again, you, like you say about that filter on social media, it's like if you start seeing all the threads about you know rental strikes because the, the premise is against the big wigs that have seventeen thousand properties, and that's that's the enemy that they've got in their head. They they're picturing you know we can't we can't afford to pay rent at the moment, and. We shouldn't give up our hard-earned money and, you know, scarce resources that are left to these big wigs because people need that imagery. But you're right, most most investors own one or maybe two and they're not at that point where, you know, it actually is a freedom vehicle for them yet. They're mm. just trying, they're just, they're just, they're just, just doing their on, best. Yeah. They're just doing their best to like get somewhere in life, you know, and that's totally cool and I think... A lot of it's born out of fear, you know, and this is, and fair enough, right? Fair enough. If you're in an industry that's been shut down and you've lost your job and every single person you know in that industry has lost their job, it's natural to be scared and concerned. And let's not, let's not, uh, let's not deride that in any way. That's, that's real, right? So it's natural to then outwardly express that in, in ways where, if you feel that um, there's an unfair dispersion of prosperity in some way, you're naturally going to react against that. Um, and I think that that's fair. I don't, I don't think that that's unfair. I, I think that that's fair. And we need to accept that in times like these, emotions are, well, emotions are going to be pretty volatile, much like the stock market. <laughs> um, so I think right now, more than anything, we just need to sort of, you know, have rounded conversations and be empathetic and understanding. I've been a big proponent of that all through this uh, current environment because, you know, more than anything, what we need as a community and as a society is empathy and love and compassion. Yeah. And the more that we can approach that, the more that we're going to find a, an equilibrium in our society. But should we talk about unemployment? Or where do you want to go with this? Yeah, let's start with unemployment. Um, I mean, the the big question for a lot of uh, a lot of you know investors and landlords is how how will changing unemployment affect my property? That's a great. It is a great question. So, how will rising unemployment affect my property? Well, <clears throat> let's just circle back just a little bit because what you just said a moment ago was about. Um, you know, there's petitions and all kinds of stuff about, you know, not paying rent. And then there's the, the government just announced. So at the time of recording, I'm very mindful that every single one of these episodes is going to be out of date within 24 hours. <laughs> and they typically take two weeks to get um, published. So by the time you read this or listen to this, you know, this is old news. But in the last few days, uh, the Prime Minister announced a moratorium on evictions. So six-month mm-hmm. eviction ban, right? So you can't kick anyone out. So naturally, everyone just went... Oh! What does that even mean? Um, 
there are mechanisms in place, obviously, for um, mortgage holders to take a six-month mortgage holiday. They're calling it. However, financially, that's a pretty. It's a pretty big bow to draw because what's going to happen for the mortgage holders is uh, their interest is going to get capitalized. And when you actually look at the average loan and the average term of the loan, that increased capitalization can add up to between twenty and thirty thousand dollars over the over the life of the loan so it's a it's a pretty big financial mm. impact to have even though it sounds good all right we'll just stop paying the mortgage for six months that's all good and then all of our tenants will stop paying the the rent for six months that's all good and um yeah sweet cool all right no worries everyone just take a break but it just doesn't quite work like that mm. there's a couple of things in there as well because uh interest rates and and or different different lenders have got different policies but because there's going to be a capitalization on the lending over the six month period the question then is, well, that's that's fine. Like if we, if as landlords, we can't evict people. And again, let's lean into compassion and empathy here because I'm sure that anyone listening to this doesn't want to just mindlessly kick people out onto the street and tell them to fend for themselves. But there's practicalities around finance, right? So if the tenant is financially unable to support the rent because they've actually lost their job or some other kind of thing, will that rent be capitalized as a rent debt? That's the big question. Or is it just six months rent free? And that is, at the time of recording, an unanswered question. So that's a very interesting perspective to have because if it's just everyone doesn't have to pay rent and it's carte blanche and it's a moratorium, well, then it doesn't actually matter whether you've still got your job or not. You can just go, eh, not paying rent for six months. And that may present some mm. issues. So that's a pretty um, it's a pretty interesting can of worms to open, that's for sure. Interestingly, and this is off a fairly small sample size, we're still aggregating the data on this in a large way, but interestingly, the areas that are showing the lowest signs of rental default or in fact rental discount are lower socioeconomic or affordable mortgage house mortgage belt areas interestingly yep makes sense does it make sense i think it makes sense why do you think it makes sense because there's it's it's easy to hold on to that level of property if you if you're a tenant that rents in that kind of belt then you know a, a hit to your income or a loss of income is is you, you're still going to be able to service some form of property payment whether that's your rent or a mortgage whereas the you know the more blue chip areas and the blue chip properties that's the band that gets hit the hardest yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What we've seen in pretty much every uh, economic fluctuation and economic downturn of any um, degree or scale, we'll, we'll maybe dig into some past stats around unemployment and last recession and stuff like that because I think we, we all know that we're in a recession now even if it hasn't been officially announced um, and it's really about the, the length and breadth of that. But what we, what we typically see is um, the higher price suburbs or the more affluent suburbs get hit the hardest in terms of price fluctuations and price volatility. 
But even taking a little step back from that, if we look at what the stimulus package is at the moment, which is, you know, there's the job keeper allowance, which allows businesses to continue to pay their employees $1,500 a fortnight, which is $750 a week. Um, we've seen the job seeker allowance be doubled by 500 or increased by $550, which effectively doubles it to about $1,100 as far as I understand. Then you start to hedge that against, okay, well, what does that actually mean in real terms? So the average Australian wage is around about $50,000, which is about $960 a week, thereabouts. Now, of that $960 a week, the government is basically saying, we're going to support about $750 of that. So when you then think about, okay, well, how does that then reflect against the average rental prices and all of that kind of stuff in these kind of areas? When we look at affordable mortgage belt areas, we're typically hovering around the $400 mark, anywhere from sort of 350 to sort of 430 is pretty typical in, in the mortgage belt kind of environment. Whereas in Sydney or in places where there's higher prices, you know, in Melbourne, you know, you're looking at an average rental price of over 550 and then in Sydney, it's closer to 600. So you can kind of see the pretty big disparity. Like if someone has lost their job and, or if their employer needs to get the job keeper, he's gonna pay them the job keeper allowance, the amount, the, the, the percentage of their rent, which is gonna be uh, supported by the new stimulus packages is gonna be significantly smaller than someone paying a lower rent. So these kind of stimulus packages actually do a lot to support the average average Australian worker, which is awesome. Um, but that's also why properties properties and, and rental properties and buy, buy and hold properties in affordable mortgage belt, blue chip, oh sorry, blue collar areas are seemingly holding up the best so far. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it's interesting because I think I think on paper, everyone, if if you're interested in real estate and you've done a bit of study and it's a bit of a you know interest of yours, conceptually, people know that and they know that on paper, and I think it's just this is what it the experience is to actually go through these kind of um, fluctuations. So. Like you said, like it is the blue collar areas, like everyone wants ideally to have a property that is in constant demand all year round despite the economy and despite what's happening in society and despite the real estate market and despite everything. You want a property that is of good quality, will consistently grow over the long term and is going to be in demand for a tenant. So I think on paper, people know that that is the the goal. That's the holy grail. Mm. And I think it's just now as we're starting to see and through recessions as the top of the market dips off and then people can, there's less people that can afford that level. Yeah, the top end gets squeezed downwards. You end up creating yeah, downward so this pressure. Is just, yeah, this is just an example of that squeeze that's happening now. Yeah, what happens is it creates downwards pressure. Mm. You know, so so what typically happens is when there are economic downturns, the the temperature in the room is the same for everyone. Okay, so an economic downturn will affect everyone. It doesn't it doesn't typically affect one market segment in terms of human consumer level. So what will typically happen then is that people who are maybe living in more affluent areas or maybe can't afford the rent or 
maybe property price like it creates downward pressure where they go okay how, where can we contract back to where is going to be the safe place that we can comfortably afford and they contract backwards so in times of affluence and economic prosperity so market growth uh you typically see people pushing themselves up everyone wants to improve their standard of living and maybe they want to get the nicer house and the nicer mm. car and the nicer street and be closer to the beach or whatever that may be and then and it's a it's a desirability push from a status perspective where they go i want to do more be more see more and then in an economic downturn it goes okay actually 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 hang on do i actually need that because right mm. now i'd pre pretty sure that i prefer to just have somewhere i can afford and have less stress and so that creates downward pressure on uh, to the affordability sector of the market, which is what keeps, which is what keeps that sector quite um, stable, which is really really interesting. That's actually interesting. I, I I don't know if this helps anyone else, but the imagery that came to mind is like the bloating and cutting, um, metaphor used in in business. In, well, in business, but I was thinking I'm exercise. exercise. True, true. <laughs> Where you know, when things are good, you can you can bloat and you can take on more than what is necessary. But then things get a bit tighter and a bit squeezed, and then you cut back on what is actually. Yeah. So if you, yeah, if you're bulking and cutting in exercise. Yeah. Um, so if you're like you know getting their mad getting their mad gains. I've been making a few, uh, I've been making a few too many gains over, over the last week. No gym. Uh, yeah, no gym. Uh, no gym gains. They're not the gains you want. Um, but you, yeah, totally. You get the sort of bloat and cut effect where you, where you push, 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 and then contract, and then push, 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 and then contract. And then this is actually leaning into a really interesting uh, synopsis of the fact that we are in a cycle. You know, this is not mm. this is this is not end of days, and it's very hard to see that when you're inside it, though. It's very hard to to when you get dumped by a wave and you're circling around and you're in all the turbulence and like oh you don't even know which way is up Mm. you your mind flashes and it thinks i'm probably never going to get another breath of air yeah but it's like it's just there it might only be it might only be you know a couple of inches away from your face but it's just there and i think that right now it's very hard for people to see objectively where we are and and that's probably an interesting thing to talk about because unemployment rates at the moment are pegged to go to 11%, maybe even 25%, some people wow. are saying, which is pretty hectic. If it gets 25%, um, we're going to definitely have some social cohesion issues which are going to need to be addressed. Um, do you just, I don't know if you do know, yeah. do, but do you know what the unemployment rate has been kind of before the COVID yeah, it's been sort of hovering around uh, five, five and a half percent, you know, sub yep. six, which has been for a long time. And this is the, this is actually a really interesting thing as well. It's gone, it's gone well over ten percent multiple times in my lifetime, but I just don't remember it. Hmm. I just don't remember it. A lot of people would remember it. However, they're probably not remembering it. So. Yes, we have been in economically prosperous times for a good while. You know, Australia's economy is oh, sick. You know, like the rest of the world looks at Australia and goes, wow, what a stable, robust, bountiful economy that you guys have. And it's true. It is true. Every other economy in the world goes through way more volatility than Australia. So now that we're experiencing some, everyone's saying, oh my God, it's the end. It's the end of the world as we know it, which is just not true. 
If you look back to the recession in uh, the 90s, so 1991, the unemployment rate then was uh, around, I think it was just below 6%. And then when the recession started, the recession we had to have, um, if we did... (laughs) Lee Kuan Yun from Singapore, the leader of Singapore, said basically before the uh, the recession we had to have, the forced recession, he basically said that Australia was at risk of becoming the white trash of Asia because of the, <laughs> <laughs> because in the late 1980s, unemployment rates had increased from 5.5% to 10.5% over two years. So, so in the late <laughs> 80s, where there's all this spending and excess, you know, Huey Lewis in the news and all of these kind of guys, you know, it was it was all like... Is the the heady heydays of the '80s? Uh, sp- consumer spending went way out of control. Everyone got everyone got all racked up and jacked up on the stock market and um, and uh, technology, and everything started to to get out of control. And because of the increasing debt levels, high unemployment rate, and all of that kind of stuff, in a very what ostensibly came quite a volatile economic environment. Yeah, Lee Kuan Yew said uh, that Australia was at risk of becoming the white trash of Asia. And Bob Hawke, who was the Prime Minister at the time, actually agreed with him. He said, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> which is really interesting. And which is, what, which is actually what triggered the recession we had to have. You know, it was, this, it was this point in our time where it was like, well, things are getting out of control and we just actually need to pull it back. We need to pull things back and that's going to hurt for a little bit. Now, we're not in the same economic environment that we were then, but prior to... Uh, Prior to the 1990 recession, it went from the unemployment rate went from about six percent up to about 11.2 percent in 1992. Okay, so so in the late 80s we hit over, or in the uh, sorry early 80s we hit um, 10.5 percent. So it was in the early 80s we went from five and a half to 10.5 percent in two years, and then it was mm-hmm. in the early and then we kind of corrected a little bit and then we got it back into the early 90s. And unemployment rate went from about 6 to about 11.2. Now, it's been really good for a long time. It took us about 10 years to get it back to uh, 6%. So if you then think that sort of gets us into the 2000s, really, for the bulk of the 2000s, we've been hovering around that sort of 5 6% mark. And it's been, life's been pretty good. So that's given us sort of 20 years of, you know, everyone having an expectation of what unemployment level should be, employment levels, all of that kind of stuff, and how things are going to be affected. But... The reality is we've been through these cycles before and it's actually, you know, we've survived and we've managed. I've gone on a bit of a tangent then, but did, did that kind of give you any insights, Gabby? No, totally, yeah. And it's it's that whole eye of the storm analogy where it's very hard to see that this is part of a bigger cycle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, various economists can can predict and calculate when the cycles may may dip or when they may pick up or but at the end of the day it is all it all it's all cyclical so it like is. you said all the all those examples of just unemployment just take that as a as a micro mm. that in itself goes in the cycles and then you think about housing prices in all the different areas and housing prices in every country and then there's all all these different pieces that have their own cycles and it is very difficult when you're at the bottom of one or towards the bottom of one to see that it will pick back up totally and this cycle right now that we are in everyone has known that it's coming for a long time just no one knew how it was Mm going to happen you know we have experienced longest bull run in economic history 
And off the back of that, you know, we should, we theoretically should have an economic downturn every 10 years. And it had been, um, it had been much longer than that. It had been 12 years, right? So since we had an economic downturn. Now, the thing is as well, what I actually find really interesting is uh, Ray Dalio, who, uh, if you haven't read Principles <laughs> by Ray Dalio, I highly recommend it. The audio book is really exceptional because it's Ray reading it. Interestingly, he is the most successful fund, uh, hedge fund manager in his, history. And he's been able to pick the last few economic downturns like and hedge against them and all of that kind of stuff. And he's advised governments on it and he's built very amazing mechanisms to be able to identify the key indicators he had no idea this was happening. He had no That's idea. So it's really interesting. <laughs> I, uh, I watched an interview with him uh, the other day where he was like, well, I just, we just didn't know. And it was very interesting <laughs> because he's basically said, we could kind of see something was happening, but we didn't know what to do. So we yeah. did nothing. We did nothing. And then we lost all this money. They lost like 17% or something crazy, right? Which, which is unprecedented because during the, um, during the GFC or what the Americans call the Great Recession, at a point in time where everybody else lost about 30%, they gained 20%. So he's got a pretty good track record of understanding how these things move. But yeah, he just had 20% wiped off. But we digress a little. Because what I think a lot of people are freaking out about right now is, yeah, but if there's all of this unemployment, does that mean the property market's going to crash? What's going to happen? Is, is it all over? Mm. And I think we need to take a little look back to get an instructive view of how things operate in the past to help us form our perspective on, on what may happen in the future because no one's got a crystal ball he who lives by the crystal ball is destined to eat broken glass as they say that's great that's a good one isn't it that's a good one (laughs) he who lives by the crystal ball is destined to eat broken glass so let's just look at the facts and then look at let's look at what we can do so if we look at the last recession, now the GFC technically wasn't a recession because we didn't have two quarters of negative growth. We only had one. It was very, but we can call it, let's just, let's call it spade a spade. It was a recession, right? We'll talk about that in a sec. But it was certainly an economic downturn. The recession, the last recession we genuinely had was in the 90s. Now in that environment, what do you think happened to property prices, Gabby? They went down and then up. No, they did both at the same time. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) They did both at the same time. Because the thing is, property markets move independently. There is no Australian market. You you can categorize the Australian market when you look at uh, the economic uh, cap of an industry. So you can say, well, the Australian property industry is worth X trillion, etc and it moves in a certain way in a very broad generalized fluctuation however brisbane is different to melbourne sydney is different to adelaide perth is different to, ta- to um i always say tas everyone just says tasmania but there's there's multiple cities <laughs> the in tasmania. city of tasmania you know the big city the big country town of tassie so uh, to all our tassie friends i hope it's good down there you guys are they're going to be the they're going to be like the um the the like the safe place when all of this like they're completely locked down no one's getting in or out. I think they're doing it the best out of everyone at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> um, the apples are still going to be good down there. Plenty of lobsters. Look, I might actually, we should actually go down there for a trip after this. I've never been there. But anyway, we digress, <laughs> we digress slightly. So what happened in the last um, what happened in the last recession is that property prices in Melbourne absolutely got smashed. Property prices in Brisbane absolutely went off. Hmm. Interesting, right? 
So the biggest indicator of what's going to happen with property prices is not about whether we have an economic downturn. It's actually not even about whether we have unemployment. It's about what is the root cause of the uh, what is the root cause of the financial impact. And then also, what is the access to funding? So one of the biggest levers that that you, we can see with a great degree of correlation is access to funds. So anytime an interest rate goes, interest rates get dropped, or lending policy changes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that increases the overarching. And I'm not just talking about property here, but this is you know shares and everything. This is what stimulates the market. Access to money is mm. a way bigger indicator than GDP. Interestingly, and even a bigger indicator than um, unemployment, interestingly. Because mm, there's an increased demand for the same amount of real estate, same amount of assets. Yeah. So when people have got better access to money, they have, they have more comfortability. So it's typically lower interest rates, uh, easier lending policies. They've got more comfortability in taking the opportunity to advance their current situation. So what's happening at the moment is a bunch of really interesting stuff happening right now. Quantitative easing and everyone's freaking out and going, oh my God, we're going to have hyperinflation. Um, and you know, it's a lot of confusion around what's going on here. I know I'm going around in a lot of different ways, but this is all interlaced. Okay, So we've got, we've got potentially high unemployment coming. Okay, Then we've got uh, potentially some inflation. We'll talk about that in a sec. And we've got quantitative easing. And we've also got low interest rates. And we've also got like lockdown and everyone knows, no one knows what's going on. We've got a health crisis and an economic crisis. So there's all of these different moving parts. It's fascinating. It's genuinely, genuinely fascinating. What I can say right now is that by and large, if you look at the Australian property market, we actually haven't seen any significant uh, downturn in property prices. Some places we've had about 5% knocked off the top. In some places they've gone up 1.1%. There's not a statistically significant amount of data to say that we've had a property price downturn. And interestingly as well, we have in some areas seen 20% rental price reductions, typically in the more affluent areas. Hmm. However, typically in the more affordable areas, we've seen zero rental price reduction. And when you look at rental default rates or uh, rental compromise uh, rates and stuff like that, we are seeing way lower, and a small sample size again, we're seeing way lower rates of that in more affordable areas because of the stuff we talked about earlier, earlier affordability. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing way higher circumstance of that in places like Sydney and Melbourne, which is really interesting. So then you go, okay, well, what, what's going to move the markets in those kind of areas? Interest rates are being cut. They're basically, they're almost at zero. We'll call them zero, all right? There's a bugger all else they can go down. And we're starting to print money. So what then? Well, what that is likely to do is firstly, it's going to increase the velocity of money, which is a very good thing. Putting more money into the system right now is a great financial measure. A lot of people are freaking out that we're printing money and that we're going to get hyperinflation. Let's talk about inflation and then let's talk about hyperinflation. Go for it. You want to go for it? I'm, I'm ranting. No, I was just going to say, you, can you explain what hyperinflation is and if, it's, and if it's likely to occur in your opinion? Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> so everyone gets concerned about infl- inflation happens all the time. Inflation is always happening, which is why cash is the worst investment you can make because it, it bleeds slowly so people think it's safe, but it bleeds constantly. Okay? 
on average, in a healthy in our healthy economic state, our dollar is is becoming three percent worthless, more worthless per year, which is interesting. Three cents in the dollar. Now, hyperinflation is typically indicated when we see a devaluation of the dollar, or another way to think about it is an increase in the cost of goods of fifty percent in a calendar month. So, to break that down. That would be like um, that would be like going and buying a loaf of bread in the morning for one price, and going and buying a loaf of bread in the afternoon for a higher price. That's how fast it changes in hyperinflation. Mm. So, with that fifty percent, that would be if you bought a loaf of bread for five dollars, it would be seven dollars fifty by the end of the, the end month. Of the by the end of the month, so fifty percent is the minimum ben- benchmark at which uh, people call hyperinflation. It can go way, 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 way higher than that, mm-hmm. which is and people everyone gets really concerned about that because we've seen a few examples uh, in you know relatively recent economic history where that has gone very bad, <laughs> very bad. As in like Venezuela had huge issues with it. Zimbabwe had massive issues with it. For the Western world, the big one is Germany. So the Germans, before they went to the euro, their currency was the Deutschmark. But prior to that, it was actually the Reichsmark. Now, what actually happened with the German economy is they tried to stimulate their economy by printing more money. They printed way too much money. And then all of a sudden, it hits a precipice where it crosses. It's basically a, 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 an inversion curve where it flips and it polarizes and then all of a sudden that starts to devalue at, a, at an increasingly rapid rate. So it's, it's non-linear, it's parabolic. Hmm. So what? So what, they were printing, 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 printing. The economic benefit of printing more money slowed down. The dollar started or the, the, the Reichsmark started to devalue and then all of a sudden they passed a precipice and then it was like, well, oops, and then they fell off a cliff. And over a very short period of time, it got to the point where I kind of don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was like one, I think it was over the course of a year or something. It was like one Reichs, uh, one US dollar bought whatever they say, like let's just say 10,000 Reichmarks. And uh, by the end of the year, it was one US dollar bought 438 million of them or something it was insane i kind of don't have those numbers in front of me so don't quote me on that but it's insane kind of ratio yeah Yeah, so what actually had to happen then was the germans had to actually just kill their currency they just go well this is stuffed (laughs) that that, and that's why they transitioned to the deutschmark so they had to they had to go well we can't fix this so let's we're going to re we're going to reinvent the money right very interesting right so that's uh that's just a little bit of background and that's a hyperinflation scenario do you think maybe just going going off on that tangent? Do you think maybe that's what's what's coming for us? Are we going to? Do you reinvent- think maybe they're trying to wipe out the Australian dollar? Oof. <laughs> Are we going to reinvent the Aussie Ooh. dollar? Ooh. Global currency around the corner. Well, you know, the US is actually um, putting in place right now digital currencies. The reason they're doing that, and this is really interesting, they're actually. Um, leveraging blockchain technology to do so. So no, they haven't invested in Bitcoin, um, but they're leveraging block, blockchain technology to do this because in their current economic environment, they are trying to... So when you think about, okay, there's an economic downturn, consumer spending is down, employment is up, everyone's freaking out, life's shit. How do you stimulate an economy? You give everyone money. You go, hey, here's money, go and spend it quickly, please. Because doing that 
is what's going to keep the velocity of money moving around. There's, there's, there's kind of like four key factors in, in a healthy economy. It's uh, volume of money, volume of spending, velocity of spending, and I can't remember the other one. Um, but, it's, but it's really important that we keep money moving around, right? Mm. Otherwise, the system breaks. Uh, you know, any socialists out there want to talk about why, why we're operating with such a, fa- uh, a fragile system, that's fine. We can have that conversation as well. But hey, it's the reality where we're at. It's fragile. So... Interestingly, what they're doing now, if you want to try and give everyone money, what's the quickest way of giving them money? For most governments, there is so much bureaucracy that it's like, oh, we'll give you money back on your tax. Or mm. we'll. Now, and if you look back at um, you know, uh, Kevin Rudd's response to the GFC where everyone got given 900 bucks, the only caveat to that was you had to go and do your tax return. It was fairly quick, but you still had to go do your tax return um, submit your tax return and when you did that you then got a $900 check or $900 deposit in your bank account or whatever it was at the time but there was still a bit of a process what has happened in this environment is we fell off a cliff, cliff so fast yeah. that none of those mechanisms are valid and viable you even look at the stimulus package that's happening um, right now from the Australian government to businesses and they're going yeah look guys you can get like a, up to $100,000 some point in the future as a tax credit and blah 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 and it's like yeah but yeah. what about the cash now what about the yeah. cash right now so which is huge which is huge right like yeah and, it, and it's the same thing well, it doesn't matter whether you're um, a job seeker job keeper business owner whatever it's like where is the cash right now and, and so what the US government is doing is they've gone, shit, how do we give everyone the money right now? Because if we don't give it to them right now, we're screwed. So they've gone for a uh, direct investment model where they basically went, okay, how do we safely and securely send everyone in the country money without people hacking it and stealing it all? So they've transitioned to a blockchain model and they are on the brink of creating their unified digital currency. Wow. <laughs> one world yeah i actually i'm really interested to see because obviously as you said more stimulus packages are coming out basically daily which is amazing great but where's the money but but i'm interested to see what actually happens when you know when that money starts to leave the government's hands and arrive with the people because there's like there's this change on top of this change on top of this change on top of this change, but they're all going to be, you know, early, like through April or to May, like if if, you, if it's a business and you wait until your bass is lodged, so it could be like the start of April or for your um, employee subsidies, they're not, they don't kick in until the 1st of May. So it's like if they keep adding different packages that don't kick in until around then, like there's a whole month or two before anyone sees any benefit. And also at that point, every like, They've got to deliver on all of these promises, right? So I'm interested to see. Well, they're printing all. They're just printing more money. They're just printing more. They're money, just printing more money. That's the thing, right? So, <laughs> so everyone's going. Where's all the money coming from? They've cranked up the printing presses, and there's more coming. That's it. It's that simple. So they they're churning out cash because they know that the best thing that they can do right now is to pump as much money into the system as is feasible, without us going into hyperinflation. There there are there are stop stop checks. It's not just as much money as you can because that's done. But where that money flows and how that works and the reason people freak out about hyperinflation is because they think, okay, if, there is a, if there's a universal constant amount of dollars, let's just say we'll call it $100 in Australia, and that, dollar, that based on uh, supply and demand, 
and that hundred dollars carries that weight because there's a limitation of one hundred one dollar notes, for example. And if we print more, let's say we print another hundred, well, is that going to be worth more or less? Well, there's more dollars for the same amount of stuff, and therefore it's going to be worth less money, right? Mm-hmm. Same reason that diamonds are uh, expensive is because they've got the illusion of exclusivity in that they're a rare thing. So that's why they carry such value because there's not much of that. There's actually lots. In fact, if you want to look into diamond conspiracies, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of diamonds out there. You're going to drop a conspiracy theory the in van, there. The Vanderbilt. Anyway, yeah, so yeah. anyway, <laughs> so let's <laughs> not get into diamond conspiracies, but there's a lot of them, guys. They're not worth that much. Um, <laughs> Go get them. <laughs> just go and get yourself a little diamond. Go get yourself a little rock. That'll sell me. Yeah, go get a little shiny rock. Uh, anyway, so but not all of you, just a couple of you. <laughs> so what? So so everyone's freaking out because they because they're looking at um, at the you know printing of money as basically the more money we pour into the machine, the more of it there is, the less it's valued. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as that. Interestingly, so based on the fact that we've got a uh, fractional reserve banking model, and that's the foundation of how we operate our economy, it means that. Um, Banks only have to have 10% in actual cash in their reserves in a ratio to how much money they can lend, expend, etc. 10%. 10%. 10%. So banks basically operate at a minimum 10% LVR, basically. Think about it like that. Yeah. So for every $100 they have in their... In their on paper. On paper. For every $100 they have on paper, they can... Give out a thousand. So that includes everyone's savings, right? Yep. 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 So they so give out a thousand. If you've got a hundred dollars in the bank, they're only required to actually hold ten of that. Correct. Which is why, if everyone went to the bank all at the same time and said, "Give me my money," mm. it, the whole thing would collapse because it's not there. It doesn't exist. Right? It's all just numbers. This is the fractional reserve banking system that we operate with and have for some time. Okay. <laughs> Good, bad, or indifferent. That's the nature of it. When we when we stopped having a uh, gold backed um, and uh, you know when we moved to the fiat model, all of this kind of stuff started to happen, and it was like okay, well, it's just whatever we think it is, whatever we make it up to be. But there is checks and balances; they need to have ten percent in their coffers in physical. So by producing more, so for every say you know ten thousand dollars it gets produced, that's a hundred thousand dollars of freely available velocity in the economy, and this kind of thing is what's going to push and move the economy around. So, on top of that though, it's not just about how much money we have, it's also in a ratio to the amount of credit that we have. So, there is actually a long way to go and we don't know how much money they're printing, right? So, I can't say definitively, are we going to have inflation or not? My expectation is that we will have some. Do I think that we are going to have hyperinflation? No, I don't. I genuinely don't. That is a long, it's a long way to go. You've got to have some pretty... If you look at the uh, environments that, that created that kind of stuff, you've got to have pretty, um, I'm going to say, unhinged treasury departments to just go that wild. And we've learned a lot about economies since. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, is it possible that we'll get up to a galloping economy? Galloping economy is dis- uh, distinguished by a 10% increase uh, in inflation over a 12 month period. It's po- possible, but that's really going to be that's really going to be dependent on. Um, a number of things the the amount of the volume of money printed in relation to consumer debt 
and government debt and GDP and a whole range of other things and also the disbursement of that money. But I think that even if we were to assume that we can we'll elevate our um, we may not inf- get any increase in inflation. This is a really interesting thing. Printing money does not mean inflation. In fact, in uh, there's been a number of cases over the last thirty years where governments have implemented quantitative easing, and the expectation has been that uh, inflation will go up and growth will go down, but inflation and growth have gone up together. And this is about a carefully managing the uh, distribution of those funds in relation to debt and all that kind of stuff. So I think we've learned as a, in a global sense, we've learned a lot about how to, how to manage these kind of uh, implements. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is going to go okay, actually. Um, I do see that it's going to be a great stimulus to the economy. But if you think about what happens in an environment of inflation and whether that's a bad thing or not, or is it just a thing? I think things are just things, right? Do you know what happens? Do you, what do you think would happen if, if we started to experience higher than average inflation, Gabby? Oh, it's, it's hard to say because I think from an everyday person perspective and I think like if you think about 3% is the average inflation rate annually. So if that were to increase to ten, say 10%, mm-hmm which is technically what galloping inflation. I'm, I'm not sure how much that would affect the everyday, day-to-day life. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you because it would be <laughs> massive. No, it would be massive. Like imagine, imagine if your wage didn't change and everything went up by 10%. Yeah, fair. Yep. Yeah, everything. If everything costs ten percent more, and your wage stays the same, and yeah. that's kind of actually been part of the problem in Australia over the last couple of years, wage growth hasn't. Yeah, been, there hasn't been the matching it, wage growth. It yet. hasn't been wage growth hasn't been matching the rate of inflation already. So what yep. we would see, what we would see is we'd see affordability issues, and it'd be a pretty like galloping inflation. It's not good, not really good for anyone. But let's just talk about what happens if we do see some fluctuation or if the uh, value of the dollar declines, which it already has been, if it continues that way. What is this going to mean? Now, as we kind of touched on uh, earlier in the podcast, markets move in different ways. You know, in the 90s, Brisbane went up, Melbourne went down. Uh, in the GFC, Melbourne and Sydney went down, but Hobart went up, went nuts, <laughs> right? Tasmania. Ta- sorry, Tasmania. <laughs> Tasmania went off. Um <laughs> So we can, it's very instructive to look at how independent markets have performed in the past. And what we actually see is that dictated by, um, uh, dictated by how the spending is going to take place is going to dictate what markets are going to fare the best. Now, in an environment where our dollar goes down, a couple of really interesting things happen. So the appeal of foreign imports goes down. Because all of a sudden, it costs us more to buy stuff from overseas and ship mm-hmm. it. And it's like, well, why would it? And from a consumer level, you might not notice that much difference between paying um, a dollar or two dollars more for something off Amazon. But on a macro level, it becomes way less desirable to ship in truckloads of goods and uh, resources from overseas. And it becomes much more uh, important for us to be manufacturing and producing locally. Mm-hmm. So... That creates more local manufacturing jobs, stimulates uh, local industry. Further to that, the resources sector typically goes pretty well because if you know if countries like China 
or even the US or any other country overseas can buy our resources at a lower rate, mm. then they are going to increase the volume at which they buy those resources. So typically we see resource areas going really well. BHP at the moment are on a hiring streak. They are literally, they're hiring by the thousands right now. So, so don't, don't make a mistake that just because your industry is getting whacked around the head, that's not happening everywhere. There are many other things going on. There are levers being pulled. So what we could see is um, places like Western Australia and Queensland, if we were to go into a high inflationary environment, we could see areas like uh, Western Australia and Queensland start to uh, outperform areas like New South Wales and Victoria, for example. That's what we could see. My money is, uh, I think that the safe money is on Adelaide, Adelaide at the moment because it's got a reasonably good, if you were, if you were to think about, if you were to think about um, the markets like, like shares investing, Adelaide's kind of like bonds or like, or like a hedged, it's like an index fund probably, right? It's, it's got enough balance in there that everything just, it doesn't go, it, it doesn't go off. It's not like you bought Tesla shares and it's like, boom, and then ah, something happens and then, you know, he smokes weed with Joe Rogan and it crashes and all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> Adelaide is not going to smoke weed with Joe Rogan, right? The interesting thing about Adelaide is it's always been seen as a little bit of an underperformer because its growth rate is very steady. If you, if you look mm-hmm. at the current environment and you go, okay, how are things going to move? Well, this could go up, that could go down, this could go up, that could go down. There is a really interesting uh, economic mix in South Australia, particularly around the Adelaide uh, economy, where there's a great diversification between professional services, government-backed initiatives, uh, large commercial, uh, private commercial projects, um, agriculture, industrial, uh, manufacturing. There's a really good mix there which is, I think, going to allow that environment to stay r- relatively stable, which is a cool thing because when, then when you think about that, okay, so follow that train of thought and you're looking for stability, diversity, uh, prosperity, uh, supply, demand, population pressure, etc. You know, the areas that we've been buying for our clients, for example, and this is not a this is not a plug for our, for our buyers action business, but if you do need help to buy a house, just let us know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but not, sit, a not, a, not a plug, not a plug, but let us know. Um, <laughs> so, but no, interestingly, when you look at the areas that we've been investing in and why we've been investing in, in those areas, if we were to see, say arbitrarily say, okay, the entire property market is going to um, going to be impacted. Let's just say, let's just say that, right? Not necessarily true, but let's just say that. Uh, and let's just say that some areas are going to experience, say, 20, 30% downturn, which is quite likely. I expect, I expect that we're going to see 30%, uh, 30% getting whacked off the top in some areas, in some assets. But then when you look at where we've been investing, why we've been investing, how we've been investing, and what the drivers are behind our investing decisions for our clients, we are rooted in really, 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 really solid fundamentals. You know, I, I don't want to use the word recession-proof, but bloody near. We're investing in areas with extremely low vacancy rates. So that creates a cushion for if some people can't afford it, guess what? It's like we are in rental crisis stage of like, say, 0.4% vacancy rates. That's unbelievable. You know, we're in affordable areas, so where people will contract back to. 
we are seeing low rental default rates because of the affordability of rent. We're seeing the ability for our clients to be able to hold their properties even if they were to lose their job because the properties all self-support, so there's no risk to our clients. So they're surviving and thriving, and they're actually working. Not only that, they still have other levers that they can pull if they need to, like a cosmetic renovation, maybe a little subdivision, something like that to put more into it. This is the this is the basis of everything we do. That's why the Holy Trinity is so powerful. It's built literally the whole structure of our, that that the principles are based around what happens if the shit hits the fan, which it has. And when the shit hits the fan, if you can put yourself in a position where life is still good, well, what's the problem? Like you can just crack right on and you don't have to be stressed. And that's kind of what we're doing. So then, so I've taken a lot of, a lot of time to really consider, you know, for our clients, how are they potentially going to be affected? And I think that even if we were to see, say, 20, 30, maybe even 40% knocked off some assets, I don't think we're going to see that in areas we've been investing because there's such strong underlying fundamentals. Is that an implication that I think um, everyone should go out and start buying properties willy-nilly? Absolutely not. It's, it's like it's turbulent right now. But um, I think that I think that what we're going to see is we're going to, we are going to see some areas that are going to do a whole lot better than others. And when we come out the back of this, which we will, we absolutely will, it's just a matter of when, all of the mechanisms that are being put in place now and all the key drivers that we were seeing prior to the coronavirus that were indicating a macro four or five year upcycle, they are going to get compounded. Much like, much, like, much like interest and principal and interest lines are going to get capitalized over the next six months and all of a sudden they're going to cost you more, there is pressure being built up. When you start injecting money into an economy and you don't start building, you don't start building any more houses, you've got all this other stuff going on. You've, when you've got all of these different things pushing together and you increase the availability of money, Watch when it comes out the other side. We're going to see. We're not going to worry. We're not going to be worrying about galloping inflation. We're going to be worrying about galloping house prices. Mm. Because that's another thing. On an inflationary basis, you know, it's going to push property prices up as well. So there's like there's macro and micro drivers behind what's going to push this in the future. Does that mean it's going to go off now? If you no, if you buy a property now, should you expect that it might go down over the next six months? Yep. So make your investments decisions based on that. And if it doesn't, then sweet. Yeah. So just to just to circle back on the points that you touched on earlier, what are some what are some metrics that people can look up for their existing properties or ones that they may be looking to purchase in the next few weeks? What are some metrics that they can, you know, to do their own research to get an idea of if it's going to be, you know, really heavily impacted over the next six months like you touched on vacancy rates mm. i would be looking at uh vacancy rates for a start because that's a really good indication of how much pressure there is on the rental market at any given point in time so if you look back uh, like historically anything below three percent is considered very good anything below three percent vacancy rate is considered investable right that's that's the metric is three percent we haven't bought a property in the last 12 months in an area that has had less uh, that has had more than 2% vacancy rate and in fact in the last 6 months i don't think we've bought a property uh, in an area that has had more than 1% vacancy rate so have a look at the vacancy rates if you are sitting below 1% just for reference that's crisis levels right so if it's below 1% 1% we've got a rental crisis 
That's an official metric. So have a look at rental vacancy rates. If it's 1.5, if it's 2%, it's all good. Don't, don't worry. Like that is still good. It's really tight and people need places to live. So that's okay. Then I would also look at rental trends. So I would say, okay, are there more or less rental properties coming onto the market? Is the price going up or down? Because trends are the trends are a much better in, uh, better indicator than a static metric. Mm-hmm. Data in isolation is the most misleading thing that anyone can look at, I think. Same with the vacancy rate. If you look at the trend, you know, if it was if it was zero point two three weeks ago and now it's one point eight, that's a pretty steep upward trend, and I'd watch that. Vice versa, I'd be looking at stock on market. Yes, a lot of properties have been taken off the market. No, people are not bleeding yet. So we're not seeing huge discounting. People are happy to wait. But I'd be interested to see um, the sales volume and the, and the stock on market and days on market trend. Based on those things, you should get a pretty good indication about the, the health. There's way heaps deeper stuff you can go into around you know, the economics and the, you know, the spending habits and all of that kind of stuff. But those key drivers, I think, are going to do the thing. Interestingly, I've spoken to probably four sale, different sales agents in the last week who have all said they have had their all-time record sales weeks. They've sold more houses in the last week than they ever have. Quantity-wise. Quantity-wise. And I have yet to find a real estate agent that is telling me that um, vendors have started discounting. So, you know, there's some pretty strong indicators out there to say that the real estate market is currently holding well. Will it continue to hold well? We don't know. So that's why you need to make sure that you've got the right principles and strategies in place to manage that. Does that help? It does. I was just thinking about, obviously, the real estate agents. I think a lot of people, um, not a lot of people, I know that some people tend to get real estate agents and, and uh, property managers confused. They think that you just a real estate, you're an agent within real estate, so you're all real estate agents, but you, real estate agent is like the sales agents so the people that sell the properties. Whereas you have a property manager who you work with to do the leasing campaign and then to onboard the tenant and then manage the tenant. Uh, So I think in the sales department right now, you're saying that there seems to be more. Yeah, more getting sold. More more being sold. So that means more buyers and more sellers. Yeah, Yeah, but it's like the property management side is where there's a lot of pressure right now because of all the tenancy uncertainty and yep. landlords being uncertain about whether they should reduce their rates, whether they should pause the rates, whether they should guarantee their tenants anything. So I think it's very interesting to see the disparity of sales agents and then property managers at the moment. Yeah, well, it's, it's, the, it's the thing that people don't think about, right? Real estate's a business. Real estate is a business. So if, you know, right now, yeah, great, you can go buy a business, but if you can't generate revenue in that business, you're going to struggle. Right? Every business that can't generate revenue right now is struggling. And just like those businesses, there's government incentives to help. And I think there's, there is stuff. Look, I think we just need to wait and see what's going to unfold. I'm not going to pretend like everything's rosy. There are a lot of unanswered questions in terms of that. What I can say, what I can say, and this is not... This is not designed to be, um, uh, you know, needlessly optimistic. What I can say is that 
What I have seen so far anecdotally with our clients and talking to other buyers agents and also talking to other professionals in the industry is that thus far we haven't seen anyone having any trouble renting out their property. The properties are where we've seen, um, actually just to put a caveat on that, the properties where we have seen uh, rental declines is the um, boarding house, HMO, those multi-let kind of environments where they're sort of like single room, multi-let houses. Mm -hmm. Um, which are great for cash flow, but we're seeing a massive decline in there because people are just saying, no, I'm just, I'll get out and go somewhere else. They're not a necessary... Well, they're a bit more transient anyway, I think, right? And also uh, Airbnbs uh, have gone down a little bit as far as I understand. Somebody will probably write in and tell me that it's going off, but um, that's okay. Where we aren't necessarily seeing, and cities and stuff like that, but where we, the world that we operate in, and the kinds of properties we're looking at now, clients, we haven't seen any, like, no significant measure where I've seen uh, an issue thus far, which is very interesting. How about that? I'm just, I'm just nodding and chewing on it. <laughs> so, we have covered a lot of ground on this one, and I think it's going to be pretty beneficial. Um, yeah, the, the, the conversation is forever ongoing, and we're just trying to <sighs> collate collate the news that we think is relevant um, and digest it and communicate it back in a way that will be hopefully helpful. Obviously, it's it's ongoing and there's no more clarity day by day really, but yeah. Yeah, I think this format works pretty well because I have a tendency to, to uh, be a vestibule of a lot of information and I think – having some probing questions coming from yourself helps to unlock some of that kind of stuff, which is really good. Well, this is actually how I learn most of most of my knowledge of what is happening because as I said, I, you know, I feel like we need to prioritize health in every aspect, but like mental health. And for me, social media is not a good thing. So I try to limit my intake and then Goose is very good at filtering out the information that he seeks and he's constantly researching. So this works well. This is kind of how we speak. <laughs> <laughs> like what's yeah. going on with inflation, Goose? Over coffee in the morning. Reichsmark. <laughs> um, Bitcoin. <laughs> One world currency. Anyway, so I think, um, I think we're definitely entering into very interesting times. I don't think it's time to freak out. By any measure, I think if anyone's thinking about investing right now, don't say no. Just be really careful. Like, uh, just be really careful. Make sure you understand what you're getting into and why, what the fundamentals are. Um, I think if you have bought a property recently, don't freak out. If you bought well in the right area and you follow the right principles and processes, if you've bought a cash flow positive property in a high growth area and it has value potential, you're good. You're good. You're as good as anyone is going to be, probably better than most. So, um, affordability is again showing, showing to be a, a good strong backstop uh, when seeking long-term returns in property and I think that right now we're in a very instructive time in our history uh, where we can all learn as we go and I think it's, it's great it's a great place to be so off the back of that why don't we wrap it up for this one sounds good cool I might do a whole um, we might do like we maybe maybe we should kickstart a bit of a uh, an economy series or something like that because I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding out there about how money works and, and how this whole 
how this whole big machine operates. And I think if we could break it down to its base parts, I think it might be beneficial for some people in perspective. Yeah, I hope if anyone, if, if most people can get anything out of what we're talking about is, or not what we're talking about, but what's happening right now is just developing that deep curiosity and interest in economics and society and how things shift because we we have a tendency to sometimes sound overly optimistic because we're genuinely just fascinated in what is happening so it comes across as excitement whereas it's more interest in how things are working and it's just interesting because we've never been through a time like this you can read about it and you can watch movies on it but you know to be going through such a rare economic time and to be in the midst of that crucial uncertain point and watching how the global economy and how different leaders are reacting and how how different levers are being pulled it's very it's very actually calming to take a view of curiosity rather than residing in that fearful place. I think that's what's keeping us kind of really stoicism. optimistic. Stoicism. It's stoicism, yeah. If yeah, and that's probably a good thing to to end on. If all of this is freaking out and you're feeling overwhelmed and you can't see that there's a way through it and you think the world's gonna end and you're stressed out and upset and overwhelmed and you don't know what's going on, it's probably time for you to start reading some stoic philosophy. So uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is a a very good uh, book. It's the Bible, basically. Yes, it's basically the Bible. Um, Stoic Bible. Uh, on top of that, a great one to read is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Some further reading that might be beneficial to people as well. Um, during this time, uh, uh, The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. It's great. Um, Principles by Ray Dalio. Uh, the secret, the secret life of real estate and banking, um, is an awesome book um, worth checking out. So there's a few things that you could probably read to upskill your emotional fortitude during these times, and they understand what's going on. But don't lose hope. You know, there's blue skies ahead, and we're going to get through this. So, all right, cool. Stay safe out there. Oh, and by the way, just before we go, um, we have by the time this goes to air, we're going to have a Fancy, fantabulous new website um, that you can go to. Head to theinvestorlab.com.au and yeah. not only will you find um, some resources and stuff around the podcast, but you're also going to get some, the opportunity to access our online community. So uh, we'll do uh, some more information on that later. Um, but yeah, head to theinvestorlab.com.au and if you want to grab a copy of my book, which may help you to understand some principles that are going to help you get through this and how we invest head to renegadespropertybook.com to grab a copy of my book, Limitless, The Renegades Guide to Building Property, uh, Building Wealth Through Property, sorry. Nice. Nice, awesome. Thanks, guys. It's been a long one. I hope it's been helpful in some way and beneficial. Love your feedback. Uh, reach out, give us some feedback, some guidance, some advice, and of course, subscribe. And if you're anyone that you know would benefit from this, please make sure you share it with them and allow them to optimize their life too. See you soon. Bye. Bye.